Hi, I'm Bernard Fraser, and you're listening to The Essence of Cool. On today's episode, we chat with musician, producer, composer Rob Pruce. You might know Rob as the keyboard player for Canada's most famous synth-pop band, The Spoons, who pretty much owned Canadian radio airwaves in the 80s with a string of hits which garnered them two gold records. He was also a member of the Juno award-winning Rockers Honeymoon Suite. He's performed on Broadway and for 12 years acted as musical director for Mamma Mia!, most recently, he was piano coach to Academy Award winner Rami Malek as he prepared for his Oscar-winning role as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Rob is currently developing several new music projects, including solo recordings and new collaborations with a variety of artists, including Church of Trees. On this episode, Rob tells us why Jeff Buckley and the extraordinary David Bowie are the essence of cool. Let's get started. So first of all, thank you for joining the Essence of Cool. This, you are welcome. This it's is cool. It is cool. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, the premise is you get to introduce us to two or three artists who you think are cool, and then we get to sort of dig in and try to find out why they're cool. So, but first question is, how hard was it to choose? It's really hard to choose because because the question becomes like, what do you consider cool, and and what are your reasons for thinking that something is cool, yeah. and are they valid reasons? Do they do the reasons even matter why something is cool? Yeah. You know, because I have, I know I have things that I think are cool that. My wife, of course, she was like, that is so not cool. <laughs> but it doesn't matter to me. So I think, I, th- I think it comes down to like personal preference kind of things, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like we know when we talk about music and stuff like that, there are certain artists who we think, oh, yeah, that's just cool. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes it's obvious. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, so my, my criteria for thinking of things that are cool could be all over the map. Right. So. And that's the wonderful thing about the topic is yeah, it's different for everyone and different for every artist who you think for is sure. cool, right? Okay. So let's jump right in. Yeah. And the reasons that you think they're cool. That's right. That's right. So the very first artist you chose is? Well, it's a really obvious one, but the first person that always comes to mind if you think of, if I think of cool is David Bowie. Right. Right, and and it's super obvious, and and I'm sure everybody will pick David Bowie as one of their few people to pick, just because he kind of gave off that essence of what it means to be cool, because he seems like he just follows his own. He doesn't listen to anybody else. He has like a like a there was a mission in his head, kind of of yeah. a journey that seemed like it was planned, but it probably wasn't planned. But he trusted his instincts, and I think maybe that's the fundamental part of somebody being cool is they they're like sort of not listening to the outside world i mean they take inspirations but then they run with it on their own and they don't care what anybody thinks and then people sort of struggle to catch up and keep up with it all you know i have a permanent i have a permanent smile right now because of course you know that's my he's my number one pick as well so um so for the one person in the world of seven Of of course for the one person in the set world of seven or eight billion people, how would you, who does not know who David Bowie is and perish the thought, uh, how would you describe David Bowie? <laughs> well, he's a songwriter, he's a singer, he's a performer, he's a performer. Oh, did you say one word? 
No, no. No, not one word. <laughs> Use as, as many as you like. <laughs> right, because now I can't stop. I mean, he's everything, right? I mean, I mean, he he was a writer. He was a poet. He was a, a, a graphic artist. He was a designer. He was he just kind of encompassed the meaning of the word artist yeah. in that way. Right. That I feel like his mute. But he was also the other thing about being cool in his world is he was a collaborator. Like he was so dependent on the people that he worked with that he was willing to bring people into his world to create his vision. But I, th I sometimes think he had a vision, but he was also open to changes. If somebody made a suggestion, he'd be like, sure, that's cool. Why not? Because he knew that he could trust the people around him that were taking the journey with him in that way. That's right. So, so what was your introduction to David? And uh, did you immediately glom onto him? Was he immediately cool to you? Or did it develop over time for you? He was immediately cool, and and the only connection that I had to him was on was through the radio, and it was when I was eight or nine years old. Whenever um, Fame was on the radio, and whenever Golden Years was on the radio, seventy five, seventy six, seventy five, seventy six, right? So. Uh, I only knew him through the context of hearing him in the midst of Olivia Newton-John and Badfinger and John Denver and whatever else was on the radio. And all of a sudden, like, fame would come on and I would be like, what is this? So considering that your introduction to him was through the radio, you didn't have a visual to attach with it. What was it about him that struck you as cool? It was the sound of his voice. It was the sound of the music. It was, I mean, I was too young to really follow in any detail what he was singing about. I just knew that there was something going on. Like, it just, it really drew me in. And it was fame, especially. There was something about the, just the sound of the song in general. Uh, and... It was kind of mysterious, but kind of, but I mean, it had a good groove, of course. So it, it, it caught my ear. And like I said, it was just in the mix of all the other songs on the radio. There was just something really so unique about it. Yeah. And it didn't hurt that John Lennon was singing backups. <laughs> so ha, Right. Playing guitar and whatever he was doing. Exactly. That's right. That's, That's right. right. And my introduction to him was around the same time, well, maybe a, a year earlier, I had seen the David Live album in the stores. And... Uh, I, I remember Space Oddity, although it, it was a cool song. It didn't really draw me into him to seek him out as an artist. It was just sort of in the periphery, right? But then I saw this image on the cover of the David Live album right. and was just mesmerized by him. I uh, bought the album, and that was my introduction to him um, as an artist. I, I basically learned his catalog from, what, 70, 71 up to 74 through the David right. Live album. So I introduced wow. that album to a couple of my friends and didn't get the kind of reaction that I expected. Um, they were kind of repelled by him. And I just... Really? Wanted, yeah. So I just... Well, you know, you have to remember at the time we were in the middle of what Frampton Mania and Aerosmith, yeah. Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and uh, Ted Nugent, right? Um, right? It was a lot of really sort of heavy rock, whereas... That's true. David was a little different. Did, uh -huh. you, did you have a similar experience? What did your friends think? No, I don't think, I don't think that it was the visual element didn't come into play at all. And certainly for me, I flamboyant performers, which 
at that age for me, I considered cool. Like my wife laughs her head off when I tell her that I thought Liberace was cool, but of course I was only eight years old. <laughs> right? Yep. But I'm like, I guess what I considered cool was what was a personality and what was an image. And, and I was obsessed with David Cassidy when I was a little kid. Right, me too. And then I, I, because I started playing piano when I saw Liberace, I was like, oh my God, look what just came in the mail from eBay, by the way. Oh, awesome. Oh, and a Liberace picture disc. <laughs> uh, my wife won't let me hang it anywhere in the house, so I'm going to have to just hide it in the closet. But that's okay. <laughs> but it sounds as being cool probably more than images at, at that early age. Right. So, so then when I got into reading, like I said earlier, when I was reading rock magazines and looking at at Circus Magazine and I would see pictures of Freddie Mercury and I would see pictures of David Bowie and Elton John and I was like oh my god these guys they their music sounds magical but now I see them and they're like all flashy and and to me that was my first uh, initiation into what the idea of cool was right. was somebody who looked like that and then forget about it when I got to kiss right and, <laughs> and the magic of like guys who just put on kabuki makeup and you don't even know anything about them that's right right so so it was like step by step by step along the way of all these different elements of what I considered cool. Mm. And and I was thinking about it this morning before we started the conversation and I thought, I guess part of what makes somebody seem cool is the mystery. What you don't know right. makes them cool. Because right. then you learn in today's world, we can click a link and you can read everything that a person ever did wrong. And, yeah. you, and all the mystery is gone. Right. And it doesn't matter anymore how cool you thought they were because all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, but they did this or they did that or they think this or they think that. And it sort of strips away all the, the magic of what is really all that should matter when you're an artist and you're creating art is right. what makes you cool is the fact that you're making something that's cool and you present something cool. And you, don't, you shouldn't really need to know more than that. Right. And I still try to live with that sort of innocence in my world of, of looking at artists and thinking what's cool and what's not cool. So. so going back to that that era, uh, whether it was 75 or a little later on, yeah. and, uh, you know, when you get together with friends, I know um, I'm thinking of Jim uh, at this point, because I guess it was yeah. not too long after that you started yeah. Diamond, right? Yeah. Um, you, you get together with friends and you exchange, uh, like you introduce each other to the cool artists that you've come across, right? Yeah. And as yeah. I was saying earlier, I remember very distinctly there were a couple of people who looked at me really really funny when sure. I introduced them to David Bowie. It was like, yep. who's this guy who's like dressing up in all this glam, uh, these glab costumes, wearing makeup, and God forbid he announces that he's bisexual. What the right. is that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I got some pretty strange looks, and you know, this is, an, again, a neighborhood of, of pretty hardcore rock guys. Sure. Uh, so I did eventually find a group of people that appreciated the kind of uh, bands that, like Roxy Music and, and David, of course, and, uh, right. and on and on. But did you, uh, when you were sitting around with people like Jim and you're yeah. exchanging musical ideas and exchanging in information on artists, did you yeah. ever get any kind of a backlash or was it like, I totally agree with you, he's amazing? I think we're pretty copacetic because we both just wanted to play whatever was on CKOC. So we were like, right. whatever's on the radio and in, in our band, because we were only 12, you know? So we're like, let's just play these songs because they're so cool. And we kind of loved it all. The one, the one 
the little division that we had, I think, was that Jim was a bigger Billy Joel fan than I was, and, and I loved Elton John. So I became aware at that time of like, oh, Elton and Billy are kind of similar in some ways, but there's something more mysterious about Elton that, for me, I liked more. Billy was almost like a country singer in a way, even though yeah. he wasn't really. Yeah. He was more rootsy, and he was more grounded in, in the American... He was an American, so that kind of was that thing. I think the Brits, like, I mean, look at Elton and Queen and, and Bowie, especially at that time. There was always something else that they were trying to break out of their world and create a, a more mysterious kind of a coolness, right? Right. And I didn't really care so much for Billy Joel's like normalcy in that way. Right, right. Um, but as far as getting a backlash from people, I didn't really feel that until until I got into high school when I was the only kid in school with like a new wave haircut when I was 14 and I was wearing my Gary Newman two-boy army pins yeah. <laughs> and, and I was the only one wearing a pink button-down shirt and a skinny tie and, there, and I was was literally the only person in my high school in Burlington and I just didn't care I was like I don't care I'm in a new world this is this is where the future is right. you know beyond the yellow brick road it's interesting because uh, even though the backlash affected me probably more than it did you, yeah. uh, it was the music was such an escape to another world that like yeah. you, I, I didn't care. This is the music yeah. I love. These are the artists I loved. And who yeah. gives a shit what, uh, yeah. what other people think, right? For sure. For sure. So uh, about David then, um, was there ever a time when he fell out of cool? Well... I, you know what? It's funny. The one moment where I thought that to myself was after he did Let's Dance, and he was at some point, like on the Serious Moonlight tour, and I remember seeing some photos of him where his hair was like too yellow, and his pants were too baggy, yeah. and he had suspenders, <laughs> and he was like becoming almost a, a parody of that part of his life, of that part of his career. Right. And I think that I had moved on to so many other types of music at that point. Like, like then I was really heavily, uh, well, of course, I was in the Spoons already. So we were like right. in our own world of creating stuff. So I was looking at other people as, as colleagues and as co-creators at the, of what the scene was at the time. Right. But I looked at David and I thought, well, now he's just sort of stuck in this thing. Like he's on the road and he's doing the same thing. Right. And so for a moment, I felt like that was what he did. But then I f sort of fell back in love when he did Blue Jean and I thought that video right. was so cool. Right. So it was probably, I mean, if I look back at the time period now, it was probably a small period of time yeah. when that was. Yeah. But it felt for a moment like he's, he's like, it's not so cool right now. Yeah, you know, like, like you around that same time, uh, I also, I was like you getting into a lot of great new synth music, you know, I was listening to a lot of De Depeche Mode and OMD and Soft Cell yeah. and Grand yeah. Grand and I'm on and on and on, right? Yeah. Uh, so I kind of, uh, and after, I guess it was after the Let's Dance album, because I really loved the Let's Dance album. I really thought it was yeah. quite cool. I went to see the concert, the CNE. Yeah. Uh, brilliant, right? Um, but after that, yeah, there was this, it was like he was repeating himself. And a little bit. Yeah, and it, it felt to me it was kind of stale. So I kind of dropped out of sight, uh, or he sort of dropped out of my view. Um, but it, and I love. But you know what's? But you know what's funny now, looking back in hindsight, and I think of him in in his life and the work that he did up to that point. And I think now, I think God, he was only like thirty six when he right. made that album. Right. But for him at thirty six, he'd already been around for so long. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, I want to be a pop star. Like, like I'm. I 
I've been a, like a cool, mysterious guy for so long. Let's just make a record that's going to be a hit. Make me a chic record. You know what I mean? So yeah. I yeah. think maybe he coasted for a little while on that, which is, I mean, look, I think now, I guess there's really nothing wrong with that because he was still fantastic yeah. in what he did. And look at what he did post all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's still amazing. So so I look at it now and I think, what a lucky guy to have spent a couple years coasting for, for me for to sure. say, oh, he was boring. You know, it's, yeah. it's easy for me to say. The, I've read a, a great book. Uh, if you haven't uh, picked it up, uh, do check it out. It's called The Complete David Bowie by oh, Nic- cool. Nicholas Pegg. And it's about, oh, a, wow. it's about a thousand pages. Wow. It goes into great detail on every phase of his career. And he, uh, through interviews, uh, freely admitted that he was coasting, that he was doing it to serve this kind of Phil Collins-like fan base. <laughs> yeah, right. And when he looked back on it after, you know, around the early 90s or so, he realized yeah. um, that he'd made a big mistake and he was making really boring music. And right. it was time to shake it up again. And, con- and uh, in fact, that was the time when I got back interested in him because he came out with the album Outside. Which yes. Just absolutely brilliant. And yeah. if you were, you know, if you had thought that David Bowie was getting a little boring, he changed your mind instantly with that album. Totally. Right. So, um, and so, and go ahead. Remember, sort of trying to give give Tin Machine a try as well. Yes, yes. Because and, because it seemed like he was just willing to collaborate with other people and shake it up in that way. And I thought, well, yeah. you know, even if I didn't like Tin Machine so much, I just thought it was really admirable of him to give it a shot. Exactly, exactly. Um, is is coolness something that? artists just come by honestly or do they need to try to develop it cultivate it well that's a tricky question i think that it does get cultivated and i think that it's like a guy like bowie is that's just who he is right Mm. it's funny i was talking with my wife about this this morning because i was was, we were talking i was thinking about this conversation and i was asking her like you know what do you think about like the perception of somebody who's cool or not cool and I kind of came to the thought that somebody like Freddie Mercury, as much as I love his music and I love the way he is as a creator and as a performer, mm-hmm. he's maybe not such a cool guy. But I don't think that Queen ever considered themselves to be like really cool as much as they were musicians and they wanted to make cool music. And I think that they, as, col- as a, as a four-piece band collaborating, they were artists painting on the sound. Uh, you know, they would go in the studio and they would layer all that stuff together, layer all those vocals and layer all those guitars. And each guy was a songwriter. And to me, that is the coolest thing you can do as a musician. Mm-hmm. But if you step back from Freddie and you look at him and, and you know more about him, and, and when I would see interviews with him, I thought he's like sort of like an insecure, he seems like a shy sort of, like like a self-conscious sort of a guy who finds expression in his music and in his stage persona. But mm. that's not fundamentally him. But that's cool to me, to be able to step be, be outside of yourself and become something else. Mm-hmm. So... To me, that makes him cool, but I think fundamentally he wouldn't consider he would have never considered himself like a cool guy. You so know? S- since you brought it up, and not to um, just to jump out of the David world for a couple of minutes, but since you had the chance to work with Remy Malek, who yeah portrayed uh, Freddie Mercury, what was his take on Freddie? Did he think he was a cool guy? I don't know that he thought he was a cool guy as much as maybe a complex guy. I think mm. I think that was the thing knowing what I knew about Freddie from reading biographies and, and in, reading interviews or whatever, and then and then knowing that Rami was going to be portraying him, I thought it seems like 
it's a hard thing to play because you're not going that deeply into the reasons why he is who he is. Like, like you're sort of on the surface of showing him that he's a cl- maybe he's closeted in London in the 60s, but he's finding an expression through his art. And that's it, it doesn't go a lot further than that, but maybe it doesn't need to go a lot further because the music does sort of speak for itself. Like, right. once again, I, I sort of feel like an artist who's giving the world something that's that beautiful and that it that meaningful because each person takes in the the music and creates a world for themselves so you kind of it kind of doesn't matter who he was in some ways like i'm not listening to the music to know freddie mercury i'm listening to it because it makes me feel something Mm -hmm. and it makes me like sort of look at the world in a whole new way and it inspires me to want to go and practice piano and learn how to play these songs and and I guess the coolness in in that world comes from that the collaboration between the artist and the listener or the artist and the viewer in that way right so 50 years from now when people look back on David Bowie will he at that point continue to be cool and i before you answer i think about certain artists um say cab calloway or john lee hooker or elvis who uh, cab calloway yeah. 90 years later to me is still the ultimate in cool right but yep, there are some sure. artists like uh, boy boy george for example or thompson twins where they were yeah. totally cool in in the day but now yeah. i don't really look back on them and see that coolness so that's a good that's a good observation about them in that way because it seems like when something becomes slightly derivative from another from another artist let's say like like Thompson Twins are a good example because like I loved their music and I still love their music of course because it's like uh it's um not just for sentimental reasons but but technically and, and as songwriters and and as sound creators I think they did some beautiful things mm-hmm. and I think that any generation would look at them in that way and and find the good qualities but it's not like a groundbreaking thing that they did they were part of a scene in that way Right. right. So I think you're right that, but somebody like Bowie was driving the scene. Right. And because, like, let's say the Thompson Twins, I never realized how much a song like Hold Me Now was really influenced by Roxy Music. Right. Right. And Roxy Music is, is like in the world of David Bowie and Brian Ferry and, and Brian Eno and those guys. They were breaking ground, breaking new ground, which set the wave of the next generation, the next decade of music, let's say. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I guess there's a there's a place for somebody like David Bowie in the timeless pantheon of artists for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, how important is the element of cool to a band's success or an artist's success? Do you think? I, I say that because I think about people like Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, who I I don't think are cool at all, but yeah. hugely successful. So the cool must sort of blend with the personality in a way because Dolly Parton she's like my my the way that I love Liberace when I was a kid you know right right Dolly Parton was like she had something in her personality that was was larger than everybody else larger than life in a way right. you know she like was little she had big hair she had big boobs she had sequins everywhere yeah. and she played up on on all of her best qualities and as a fantastic songwriter and as a fantastic singer her artistry was the thing that went deeper than the surface. So the surface was what what the everyday people would tune into. And it was great. She was like a sellable person. She had like, you could make a, I feel like 
the coolness of a person comes in the fact of if you can make a caricature of somebody, right. then they might be cool. Right. You know, like right. like if you can exaggerate all the best qualities of a person, then you know there's something unique. Right. That that's where the that's where the trick lies. So so Dolly Parton was already like a caricature of of a country singer in that way. But then she wrote fantastic songs. Yeah. Well, although when you if you saw her back in the day, so late sixties, early seventies, I mean, I kind of thought that well, she's got a lot of glitz you know um very very flashy but i don't think it's gonna last yet become this legend yeah and and i guess as as you say that's a testament to the artistry right yeah and i i guess as time goes on it's like the survivors rise to the top Mm -hmm. like i mean not just survivors in in terms of what you've created but if you're still kind of trying to make yourself known in the world like so you know she's had films made of her life like biographies and she's had so many covers of her songs and people will come up and ask her to make make appearances and stuff if you're not a super groundbreaking kind of a person like let's say john lennon john lennon left the world when he was 40 years old and he was already cemented in history because of his because of the beatles and because of who he was he didn't get the chance to to become old and boring yeah right true and and who knows what what would have become of him because we can't predict we can't even guess where he was going but certainly the last album he did was a little bit of a throwback to his inspiration you know music from the 50s and and like really not sort of traditional kind of a song format but it was only 1980 but but it's funny to talk about dolly parton in that way because she's a good example of somebody who's she's cool but she's not cool yeah 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 fair enough fair enough um, I want to, I've got a couple of other questions to sort of finish this off, but I'd like to get to the next artist. We probably only have time for one more artist, but sure. let's, let's jump in. Who's the next artist? Well, for me, I mean, I mean, looking at the wide, the wide number of factors that you would, you would think of to what makes somebody cool. I think I would probably go with somebody like Jeff Buckley. Um, but again, somebody who died way too young. Way too young. But, well, I came to Jeff Buckley by way of Joni Mitchell because I was thinking of people who, to me, are cool because they're really true to themselves as an, right. as an artist and as a creator. Right. And I think the true, the true sign of somebody who gives off a cool vibe is somebody who doesn't care about what anybody else thinks. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're an artist, you're making music or you're painting or whatever you're doing. You've got a voice inside you that's saying, this is what I got to do. I'm doing this yeah. thing. And nothing else matters. I don't care if you think I'm cool. I'm going to just do this thing. And by way of not caring, you become cool. So Jeff Buckley, to me, was the guy who gave off that vibe. Yeah, and just jumping back to John Lennon, you know, we said, you know, you'd mentioned that at forty years old, we had no idea what he would have come out with had he lived. However, he was the same yeah. kind of person, of truly authentic, didn't give a shit what anybody thought, was only yeah. going to walk to his own the beat of his own drummer, right? So one totally. suspects that even in his sixties or seventies, he probably would have been developing some pretty cool music, right? Oh my God, yeah. I think he seems like somebody who was dependent on. Collaborators, right? Right. Where he would bring in great session musicians, and he trusted the guys to take his ideas and go somewhere with them. So for him in 1980, he was like, "I want to make a record that sounds like a 50s, you know, doo-wop kind of thingy." Right. And this is what I want to do in this moment because he only ever lived in the moment. And I guess that is what makes somebody cool is that they're like, "I want to make something from right now." It might sound like it's from the 50s or the 60s, but it doesn't matter because that's what I want to do right now. I'm going to keep on going on. Right. You know. 
So jumping back to Jeff Buckley, um, yeah. you know, he only ever released the one album. Mm -hmm. um, you would think that it would take a couple of albums, like I mean, David Bowie, for example. It really right. took a couple of albums for him to sort of get into, to develop that coolness. It wasn't yeah. really until maybe Man Who Sold the World, uh, but definitely Ziggy is where he yeah. cemented the, that kind of uh, feel of coolness. So, But what was it about Jeff? Uh, clearly, he was an authentic guy. He didn't give a shit about what anybody thought. Um, incredibly gifted singer, brilliant songwriter. Um, was it just that, or was it what was it that made him cool? Well, you know what, it was it was his somehow he had an ability, and um, it was yeah, it was an ability to absorb so many different styles and so many techniques, and 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 channel them through his guitar playing and through his voice. And I feel like he he sang in a way that was kind of otherworldly. Like he would sing a Billie Holiday song or a Nusrat Fateh Ali, Ali Khan song or, or Jimmy or he would sing Robert Plant. And he would he would embody these voices because he was so pay, he was like he was paying attention to yeah. music. And it meant so much to him to have this inspiration through these other people that he 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 was like he's like a channeler, but he was just a normal guy. Like I saw him perform in Toronto. His it was his second time through Toronto. First time he came through and he was he was just playing solo. But the first time he came through with a band, he played at Albert Hall, and oh, it was like wow. upstairs in a little club on yeah. on Bloor Street. Perfect. And I saw it for two nights he played, and it was before Grace was even released, and oh. I didn't know much about him, and and I had seen the ad in Now magazine. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to go check him out because I, I had read a review of his his EP in Rolling Stone, and they sort of said, well, he's this up and coming guy who's going to follow in his father's footsteps, whatever. And I thought that seems cool. Let's just I'll just go, you know. So I was playing Miss Saigon at the time, and I went after the show. I went up to the club, and I was so blown away. Like I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. So, so sitting in front of him, you know, twenty feet away from him in a club was my first experience of him. Wow! And and it's like one of those things, like I never forget. Yeah. And it feels like it's become one of my lifelong sort of journeys to continue to tell that story about him. Yeah. Because I know what he means to musicians and what he came to mean to people once he died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But unless you were there to see him, it's sort of like people telling the story of seeing the Beatles or seeing Elvis. Yeah. Really. I did, just to jump back, uh, you had mentioned the, the fact that he was able to embody other singers like Robert Plant. Yeah. And uh, I guess reportedly he was, apparently, when he was in the Mississippi River and got sucked under, he was in the middle of singing a whole lot of love. Yep. Wow. Crazy, right? I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and, and it's like that that arc of his life, which yeah. was, so, was so short and so stupid to think that he would go into the Mississippi with his Doc Martens and, you know, his jeans and whatever. Yeah. What the hell? You yeah, know? I know. Crazy. <laughs> but a guy who lives in the moment and, and doesn't think beyond the moment, unfortunately, there he goes, you know? Which is ridiculous because then you look at his album and and the way that it's tied into his whole life and the last line in the in the album is asleep in the sand with the ocean washing over me. I know. And like, <laughs> oh my god, it, like it gives me shivers every really? time. And I think it's so cool and it's so sad and it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, 
you you had mentioned uh, when we we're talking about uh, Bowie and a couple of other artists that that perhaps the the source of coolness lies in one's an artist's ability to create something brand new, something yeah. so unusual that no one you know, no one has ever heard before. And of course, Jeff was like that as well. No yeah. one had ever heard singing like that before, and the melodies he came up with were incredible. And the right. style of music, because it, I mean, there was maybe a little bit of flavor of the folkiness of his dad Tim but yeah. so much new that it was a really new um uh inventive kind of approach to his music well it's it's a funny time like like to look back now 25 years later it's mm. it's interesting because it's easier to put it in the perspective of where music came from and where it went right and it's almost like you could tell that CBS records didn't really know what to do with him right and the the music business was changing and Styles were changing, and they signed him thinking he was going to be like the next Bob Dylan. But the world didn't really need another Bob Dylan. Right. But that's kind of what he was. So, like, what are you going to do with him? So they released the EP of just him playing in in, in Chennai in the club, doing four songs. And then they took him with a band, and they recorded an album. And they, you know, enhanced it with some strings and stuff. Yeah. But it's almost like that world was moving on. He's, and, and to me... Like he he left that and and it was too much. Like he couldn't go further. Like right. it's weird because Radiohead to me sort of took him took his start and went with it because like I love the stories of Tom York. He saw Jeff Buckley play in London and then he went home oh. that night and wrote Fake Plastic Trees. Oh, I didn't know because that. he was so inspired by yeah. So he was so inspired by Jeff singing in his falsetto and right. Tom York was like. That's really cool. I'm not a, I, like a, why am I afraid to sing up high like that? Like, yeah. like this is this is what I should be doing. Right. So to me, that's what Jeff did. Jeff left that mark, yeah. you know, and moved on from it. Yeah, and uh, funny you you mentioned another uh, artist that I think is totally drenched in cool Tom York and Radiohead. Of course, I mean yeah. my gosh, but the, the the connecting factor seems to be these are all people who seem to be ahead of their time and seem to. Mm -hmm the world to something brand new something fresh right it's like they're ahead of their time but they're timeless at the same time that well that's true that's right? true how much should new bands be thinking about cool i think they have to avoid it yeah you have to just be the best you can be because you can't fake it right and i think you either you either got it or you don't right and and in the weird world that we live in now everybody can everybody can release music and everybody can can create a platform to be seen and everybody thinks that they should be able to be seen which sure why not who cares mm. i mean it's it but but it kind of speaks for itself the music and the art will always speak for itself right um we're gonna wrap it up with a little game i like to play cool not cool okay <laughs> i'm gonna give you a list of uh, artists and you tell me whether you think they're cool or not and if you want to back that up with description please feel free um the very first band is duran duran cool or not cool cool yeah continue to be cool has have always been cool have always been cool and will continue to be cool as long as they don't try too hard. Ah, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now here's an artist that I'm sure is uh, near and dear to your heart. ABBA. Cool or not? Uh, always cool because they stopped. 
Right. <laughs> Good point, eh? They knew Bjorn, what- I mean, I mean, of course, when I was working with Bjorn and we had so many conversations about it and he was like, oh, you can't get old wearing satin jumpsuits and platform boots, you know? <laughs> so what, when I knew Bjorn, it was like he was like another person. Right. He looked back at himself like it wasn't him, which is what I love because I look back at myself sometimes, too, and I'm like, who was that guy, you know? But, <laughs> but that's how you know that you did something and you left it. But I think that ABBA, what they did will always be cool, for yeah. sure. And, yeah. and apparently they've recorded a few new songs, which I'm sure will be kind of cool, but it doesn't matter. The Ramones. Cool, not cool? Uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Always cool? Always cool because, again, because they kind of stopped. Like, I think that they, they made their mark and then they left that mark. Mm-hmm. And you always, you can appreciate it because it gives off a vibe of just something cool. Like the Beastie Boys is in a way. Not the same musically at all, mm-hmm. but there's something there. Whether you like that kind of music or not, it speaks to you and you go, ooh, you can't ignore it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Elvis. Always cool. Now... I kind of look at Elvis uh, as cool, not cool, only because there was a time, of course, when he broke out in the um, in the mid fifties and into the early sixties. He was the essence of cool. He was cool, yeah. but yeah. then he started doing all of these films, and he kind of he wasn't so cool anymore. I thought he's a guy who didn't trust himself, and I right. feel like he had too many people around him that were telling him how cool he was. Yeah. So he didn't have to try. He he didn't have to try, but somebody else tried to tell him what was cool, which I think made him not cool. Right. But even up till the end, I feel like he became like a caricature of himself. Yeah. But but you have to go back to the early Elvis and go always cool. Well, and funny you say that because when I think of Elvis, I choose to think of the cool Elvis, not the not yeah. the uncool Elvis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Billie Eilish, cool, not cool. It's hard to tell. So far, so far, I would say she's she's like seventy percent cool. Mm-hmm. I think that her brother makes her cool, actually, mm-hmm. and I think that given the given, uh, we'll see how the future goes for her. Mm-hmm. She's she's cool in a, in a way that kids want to be cool today. Right. She makes really cool music, but her brother makes the music with her. So yeah. I think maybe her. And actually, uh, this will this will predate your the, whenever you broadcast this. Mm-hmm. But there's an interview that I want to listen to with her brother and uh, Glenn Hansard, because oh. there's a concert a conversation that they're having that it's on YouTube. I want to watch because I think her brother might be the secret to her success. Right. And Glenn Hansard makes really cool music, and he's a really cool guy. And I think if Billy plays her cards right with her brother. Maybe she'll stay cool. But she's cool. She, yeah. I mean, the kids think she's cool, so sure. I had this conversation with my daughter yesterday. We were talking about Billie Eilish and because uh, she she loves her, as, as yeah. do I. Um, yeah. Will she lose that sense of coolness uh, the more popular she becomes? Well... I can't say. I hope she does. I mean, I mean, I hope she stays true to herself, which would, which might make her lose a little bit of the coolness. But I'd rather see her become more true to herself. I don't think that cool means being true all the time. Somebody like her, it's a bit of a persona. I don't, I don't think that she's being a hundred percent honest with herself and what she's trying to express. But she gives off what seems cool for a, a kid from today. Right. I mean, there, there's a lot of things working against kids today in terms of the, the instant gratification of TikTok and the instant gratification of Instagram and the instant gratification of portraying somebody who you think is cool but may not be what you're actually feeling inside. Mm. That doesn't make sense, you yeah. know? Okay, next one. Phil Collins. 
<laughs> it's a loaded question. 1981 through 1986 or seven, maybe. But I think the music that he made is always cool. Yeah. I don't care about him now. I mean, I'm glad that he's performing again. But, you know, he's he's gone through weird things, and he's a super fan of the Alamo. Like, he collects Alamo collectibles. Weird. Did you know that? No. It's very weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, like, one of the greatest collectors of, of Alamo memorabilia. It's bizarre. Weird. Um, but I'll give his I think his music will always be cool in a dated sort of way. I'm glad you phrased it that way, because that, that, <laughs> yeah, that resonates with me. Okay, Depeche yeah. Mode. Depeche Mode. Um, always cool. They've yeah. transcended. They came through the '80s and they got into the '90s, and they've continued to be cool for yeah. sure. Agreed. Okay, uh, Rush. Always cool, but you have to like you have to re- you have to uh, turn off your inner cynic because right. you have to look at look at it for what it is and who it is and who it's for. Although music is never created for specifically somebody other than the person that's making the music because you have to trust right. yourself first of all so i always look at anybody like from dolly parton to abba to depeche mode i think people are making music that they think is cool and they're trusting themselves and i think that makes anybody cool really yeah. okay uh led zeppelin oh always cool Okay. <laughs> um, my final one, actually, my final one was going to be David Bowie, but we've already... Uh, oh, my God. We should talk about David Bowie. <laughs> uh, but the, the last one is Talking Heads. <gasps> Always cool. Now, here's a, an interesting point, because we talk, you, you had mentioned earlier about when you sort of strip away the facade and you get to know the artist more intimately through reading biographies or autobiographies or what, what have you, that sometimes that can uh, lessen your, your, your attachment to the, to the artist. And, a little bit, yeah. And hearing a lot of stories, especially with Chris Francis' new book about yeah. uh, David Byrne not being perhaps the nicest guy in the world, you know, yeah. does that temper your your vision of that artist? It doesn't temper the sound of the records that I fell in love with. I mean, right. personally, like right. I would still listen to them and remember how it felt to be listening to that music at the time when it was brand new. Right. It, that doesn't that ne- will never change. But like I saw his his thing on Broadway, which was super cool. And people rave about it, and I'm like, and I feel like, yeah, it's it, it is cool today, but you have no idea how cool he really was with that band. And I think the band, as a bunch of collaborators, they worked together to make that sound. Yeah. And what people consider cool today is like a distant echo of what it was. But it, it, it's cool today, and I think as long as something from it remains, that makes it good. Yeah, I watch some of those old videos, and I still think, my God, they were just incredibly cool. And, oh yeah, yeah. I think they're, and I think they're cooler without even watching the videos. Yeah. I have to listen to the records and try to like transport my brain to 1980 or 79, yeah. and go. There was nothing like this. Like my goal, and when I was when I was 14 or 15 and had a synthesizer and I wanted it to sound like a Farfisa organ, that's all I wanted. Yeah. I didn't care that my synth could sound like Kraftwerk and could sound like any sound in the world all i wanted was a farfisa organ it's ridiculous you know but that's what i did that's what it was so speaking of uh, a 14 or 15 year old rob Proust, uh where do the spoons fall in this um, great gauge of coolness <laughs> well we were so cool man you were you really i think we were i think we were like i can look back in, in hindsight in some ways to our first album and our second album and feel like those two were pretty groundbreaking in some ways but it's because we didn't really know what we were doing but we did 
but we didn't care. Like we didn't care what anybody else thought. So we were sort of like a small club for ourselves to make music and trust ourselves and not look at the outside world at all. And just, I mean, we took inspirations and we took, we took things that we were listening to and influenced by, but we still made it our own in that way. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining the essence of cool. This has been an (gasps) amazing conversation. It's the coolest thing I've ever done. (laughs) 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 Thanks so much, Rob. You are welcome. And much luck and success in everything you do. To you too and to us. Hey, cheers. That was my conversation with Rob Pruce, former member of The Spoons and Honeymoon Suite, and a very talented and sweet man. We wrestled with some connection issues there and audio glitches, but I hope you enjoyed the conversation nonetheless. Next time on the podcast, we'll chat with David Yazbek, a longtime radio DJ and amateur musicologist who makes his pitch that American band The National, Noise Rock's Sonic Youth, and punk icons The Clash are the essence of cool. Until then, please support independent artists and stay safe.